While I've been gone, man, you have to do some evangelism over here. Everybody doing well? Welcome to Fullness. If you're watching online, hopefully you can hear me. Uh, I heard there might be a little sound problem, but hopefully it's, it's working and uh, you're joining us online. Just another reason why you should be church live. Uh, you should just uh, be here joining us. Uh, thank you again for your prayers for Kathy and I while we were gone. Um, three weeks seemed like a long time, but at the same time, it went so quick for us. Um, I can tell you this, neither of us have COVID because we were tested at least four times on this trip, uh, which is yeah, was Kathy's nightmare to be tested all those times, but she did great and things worked out well and uh, the whole trip was just wonderful. I'll try not to show you all my home movies, but uh, it was great. Thank you for your prayers. Thank you for your support. Um, and thanks to Nate and Cheryl for hosting us, and hopefully we help them out a little bit. Take your Bibles, turn to Isaiah chapter 42. Isaiah chapter 42. In full disclosure, I was supposed to preach this sermon the Sunday before I left. Uh, Isaiah is just an awesome book. We've looked at the whole book of Isaiah, a good portion of it in the years past. But there's this one section. By the way, Isaiah is called the gospel of the Old Testament. So much of it refers to Jesus. There are 66 chapters in the book of Isaiah. Actually, the first 39 chapters are kind of backward looking at the nation of Israel and what the, God has done in them. Um, they are called, Israel, the nation of Israel is called the servant of the Lord. Um, but there is in this 39 chapters a, a distinct picture of the failure of the nation of Israel as the servant of the Lord. Then the final chapters, final 27 chapters are more forward-looking to the coming of the Messiah and what God is going to do in the future. So 66 uh, chapters kind of corresponding to 66 books of the Bible. First 39, looking back like the Old Testament. Next 27, looking forward. There are passages that are so distinct in the book of Isaiah that if you don't know you're reading from the book of Isaiah, you'll think you're reading the New Testament. They're that clear. It's, they're so clear at times we look at them and say, how could they not see Jesus? Well, um, Gabriel talked on this a couple of weeks ago, or maybe last week, where he talked about how, in some ways, their expectation, it just seems so skewed because, as we're going to see this morning, it is, it is hard to view the Bible and to view God and to view issues in this world not from a self-centered standpoint, from a God-centered standpoint. Everything we think about the world and life and what's going on around us, if we're not careful, we view it from our perspective rather than eternal perspective. And when you do that, you start to put your thing on God. You start to put your perspective on what he's doing on the earth. And when you do that, you come away saying, well, you know, this just doesn't really match me. This is not a good picture for me. And they did that with the Messiah because they thought he was going to be a political leader. They, thought they couldn't see the suffering servant. They couldn't see how he was going to come and lay his life down. So anyway, enter into these, this one section of Isaiah, the servant of the Lord. Not the servant 
of the nation of Israel, but now the new servant, the servant of the Lord as he's coming in. And I am looking at chapter 42, which is the first of what are called four servant songs. And I was supposed to preach this, like I said, the week before I left, but I got carried away with the book of Acts and I had another sermon, so we are putting this on the end. But in the weeks past, um, thank you to Scott and Gabriel for preaching so well. Um, Scott did, talked about where the servant, that the servant succeeds where we fail, that he brings success, and we get to join in with his success on the earth. Gabriel talked about the perseverance and obedience of the servant, how he keeps moving forward and he doesn't give up. And then Isaiah 52 and 53, that beautiful passage, talks about the identity of the servant. His identity is one who suffers, one who comes, and how we get to take on uh, the identity of the servant because of what he does on our behalf. And then today, we're going to look at how the servant restores, how the servant brings back what God's intent for our lives is supposed to be. But as typical for me, I'm going to get a running start on Isaiah 42 because it, it, there's a there's a beauty to the passage that leads up to it that, that if you just jump on Isaiah 42, you'll miss a little bit of the flow. So I want us to kind of see the flow because what happens is you've had these 39 chapters that look back at the history of Israel and the failure of Israel and what's gone before. And now in chapter 40, things change with these incredible words, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. This is known, chapter 40 and some of the chapters following, known as the book of comfort. And by the way, I can never, I can never see this passage without wanting to break out in the Messiah. You know, comfort ye. Some of you have never been in the Messiah. Obviously, I've never been in science scene handles the Messiah. So there's this great recitative and aria that starts, comfort, comfort ye my people. Phil James loved this aria, by the way. He loved to sing it too. One of my favorite passages, Isaiah 40, 1 through 5, says, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted or raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level. Kathy quoted this at the start of the service, did she not? The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed. And all the people will see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Just a glorious passage that speaks of Jesus, John the Baptist, the coming of the Messiah, the coming of the Lord, rough places, sin eliminated, valleys raised up, the glory of the Lord in Jesus Christ fully revealed. It's a magnificent chapter, Isaiah 40 goes on, and he talks about how um, the power of God is never ceasing. 
the power of God keeps moving forward and how the power of God, the glory of the Lord can be instilled in us to that point where even youths grow tired and weary and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Great passage, isn't it? That we love to quote of God moving and our strength. I, I, I've quoted that passage many times when running a marathon. You know, you're not going to grow weary. You're not going to faint. You're going to keep... I'm totally out of context. I'm just robbing the passage to, for my own selfish means. But the truth that the glory of the Lord will re-enliven us, give us strength, give us power, then chapter 41 moves to this kind of courtroom scene where God is judging the nations. God is speaking what is coming upon them. He speaks about uh, his judgment on the islands. He speaks about his judgment on the nations. He speaks about his judgment on his servant Israel who has not lived up according to what he's called them, that they were, be, uh, they were supposed to be a light to the Gentiles. They were supposed to serve him in a way that, that magnifies his name to the world and how they failed. And then in chapter 42, the script flips and enters the servant of the Lord. Here is my servant whom I uphold. My chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will bring justice to the nations. He's always been, he's already, so I, I hope you see the flow. It moves from comfort, comfort ye my people. There's coming one, the rough places plain, valleys raised up. Uh, the judgment of God is coming, but the glory of the God will, will fill God's people but it hasn't happened yet, but now steps on the stage this, the servant of the Lord, the Messiah, the one. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on earth. In his teaching, the islands, remember, he talked about the islands in chapter 41. The islands are kind of representative of the Gentile nations. The islands will put their hope. This is what the Lord God says. The creator of the heavens who stretches them out, who spreads out the earth with all that springs from it, who gives breath to its people and life to those who walk on it. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles. To open eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison, and to restore and to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not yield my glory to another or my praise to idols. See, the former things have taken place and new things I declare. Before they spring into being, I announce them to you. This magnificent passage of the coming of the servant of the Lord, um, the servant 
the Messiah as I see it. I mean, I know there's a lot of theological arguments over who this servant is. I think it's clearly Jesus that we're talking about here. One servant has failed the nation of Israel. Now a new servant is stepping into the scene, the Messiah, the one who comes. New covenant is coming. What God is going to do has not been done and will not be done through the nation of Israel. Clearly it's to me the Messiah that is coming. And so what I want to look at this morning is just from this passage, some of the things the servant reveals and restores and reignites in us. This is, by the way, this is not just some Old Testament passage that we look at that's the beautiful uh, poetry, but it, it's got a real, it's real for us. It can be real for you because I guarantee you today, there are people here who are broken. There are people here who, are, who have flamed out. There are people here who need the justice that only God can bring. So don't see this as something just intellectual. Say, how can God do these things in my life? If the servant really steps into the scene of my existence and our existence, how does he change everything for us? Let's look at it. The first thing is the servant, the servant reveals justice. The servant reveals justice. Here's what it says. And this is just in the first four verses. Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will bring, what? Justice to the nations. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. Keeps going. A bruised reed he will not break and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth Justice, he will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on earth. In his teaching, the islands will put their hope. In these first four verses of Isaiah 42, God speaks, Isaiah speaks, God speaks through Isaiah of justice coming on the earth, of God's justice being released. Now, we speak a lot today about justice. We hear a lot today about justice. Social justice, um, racial justice, gender justice, financial justice. Uh, we got justice everywhere. How does that play into what we're seeing here? Just imagine for a moment. I have, as you know, five children. My oldest three are boys. But imagine back in the day that my three boys, when they're younger, they're all grown men now, but imagine back in the day they're sitting in my den, and this story is pretty real. Um, so, but imagine with me that my three boys are sitting in the den, and two of them say, hey, Dad, we're hungry. Well, being you know, the good dad that I am, I, I go rummaging through the kitchen, and I, find a, I dig up a couple of granola bars, because <clears throat> that's all I find. I bring them out, hand them to two of the boys, hey, here's some granola. And then one, the third one, says, hey, what about me? And I'm like, well, you didn't say anything. I'm hungry too. They got granola bars. Why can't I get one? Pretty soon I go back in the kitchen. I'm rummaging around. All the granola bars are gone. All I can find is a chocolate bar. <laughs> Bring it out. Give it to the third. He's like, thanks. The other two say, hey, wait a minute. That's not fair. 
Well, it's not fair you gave him the chocolate and we get stuck with granola. And they start griping at me. Till the point I say, okay, that's it. I'm tired of all the complaining. Everybody out of the house. Everybody gets gone. I need some silence. And on their way out, I say to one of them, hey, can I have a bite of that granola bar? I'm not giving you my granola. Now, you may say, what has this got to do with justice? But there's a perception in their eyes of this is just or this is unjust. Right? So the first sign of justice is kind of like it's unequal treatment. Two got a bar, one didn't. It's unequal. It's not fair. It's not just. I didn't get one. Then it's like preferred treatment. Wait a minute. He got chocolate and we got stuck with granola. Then there's coerced out of the house. The judge declares, you're out of the house. And then this entitled treatment. I'm not going to give you a bite of my granola. Doesn't that drive you crazy, parents? When you go to, oh, let's say McDonald's, you buy your kids meals, they've got some fries, I want to take a fry. No, you can't have my fry. I want to say, you got no money. These aren't your fries. These are the fries I graciously and loving have purchased with your Happy Meal. My fries. We are no different. This is our perception of justice. Our perception of justice almost always begins with us. It is a self-centered lens through which we view justice. It's the way the world perceives justice. Justice always starts with a human, a person, an individual. And almost everything that we're hearing about justice in our world and in our society is a human view of justice. The justice that God is talking about in Isaiah 42 is not a human view of justice. It is God's view of justice. Justice begins with him. He is the one through whom all justice must be viewed. And when we take a step back, if we're really real about it, we would say, none of us deserves anything good because all of our Acts, as Paul says in Romans, are like filthy rags before him. If we get what we deserve, what we're entitled to, we would all get death. Because the wages of sin is death and every one of us is sin. How do we, how do we get around this justice kind of thing? Well, step again into the scene, the servant of the Lord. The servant brings God's just justice. Another way to think of it is righteousness. God, God's righteousness steps into the earth in the form of the servant. And he comes and he just says, you'll never be made just or right through your own actions. But instead, because of what I've done for you, you can be declared just or right. God's servant brings justice on the earth. And now for us, 
The only thing we get to do is we step into what he's done for us on the cross. We step into his justice. We step into his righteousness. Now we are declared the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. We are declared just and forgiven. Hallelujah. Right? But instead of viewing everything as right or wrong through my perspective, we need to go back to God's word and say, what does God's word say about this? What does God's word speak? If indeed God's word speaks a better word, it's a better word than what? It's a better word than my word. It's a better word than yours. Justice for it to be real justice, it has to come from a kingdom mindset. So when we declare, God, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're saying, God, release your kingdom power. Release your justice on the earth. Now, how does this... I, I don't have time for an entire sermon on how does God's justice play into justice as we treat the people around us. But I can tell you this. God's justice as moving through us is a gracious justice. It's a grace justice, not a judgment you're going to hell kind of justice. Not, not the kind of justice that says, oh, you're a worse sinner than me. Therefore, you're going to get judged. And that's the way we work too often in the church. This condemning, this, this looking down. Rather, it should be a loving. What did the servant do? He stepped out of eternity in order to bring God's kingdom on this earth. God loved us that much, and we're to be that kind of people that love others and let his justice get released through us. So when you pray the Lord's Prayer, which I'd like for us to do right now, you're saying, God, your justice, may your kingdom come. May your justice be done on earth. May your kingdom power be released through me, in me, on me, and around me. So say, say it with me. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let it be so. Let God's kingdom justice be released in us and through us and to us. That's a great word in and of itself, is it not? You who were far from God have been made right with him. Not because of you deserved it, but because he gave it to you. And you received it. But it's, it keeps getting gooder. Because the servant restores the broken. He restores the broken. A bruised reed he will not break. In, in the nation of Israel, all around in the, the Red Sea, um, not the Red Sea, but the Sea of Galilee and the Jordan River, there are reeds everywhere. And they're kind of like a hollow reed that easily gets bent, but doesn't easily break. And what the author, what Isaiah and God is saying is, When we're bowed over through the cares of the world, the winds hit us, when people step on us, when things happen, 
when we, through our own sin, become bruised, or the sin that's done to us, God doesn't break it off and discard it. He restores. He restores the broken. And there's story after story of the servant as he steps into the world, restoring the broken. I mean, if you think about it, you've got, how about the guy who's the leper? He's outcast from society. He is a bruised reed. He's got no hope for healing. He's going he's gonna to be dying, and probably the worst thing is the isolation not only his physical illness, but the societal separation that's occurred in his life where he has no one, no one's even to be around him. And he's touched by the servant. Jesus touches him and he's forever changed. The demon-possessed man, out wandering in the cemetery naked, his family's abandoned him. He also is isolated. He's demon-possessed. He can't relate to society. He can't, he can't function in any way until he is touched by the servant and set free. Comes out of his prison, as we sang about. He comes running out, and he's forever changed. The woman caught in adultery. Brought before Jesus, is on the verge of being killed. Her sin is apparent to all. Can you imagine the shame? Not only is her life in danger, but her sin has been broadcast to the world, to those around, until she's touched by the servant. And then her life is forever changed. Think about a young boy raised in a good Christian home by great Christian parents, but is still just as isolated and dead and separated from God until he's touched by the servant. And my life was forever changed. You see, there's not a one of us here who's not broken or bruised, who doesn't need the restoration and touch of Jesus in our lives. Every single one of us stands in need of a servant who will restore. And praise God, God has given us one. There's not one of you so far away from the servant today that you can't, you can't be restored. The servant also reignites those who are burned out. Bruised reed he won't break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. <clears throat> this past week, uh, Kathy and I were flying. By the way, it is a long, stinking flight from South Africa. It's like 17 hours in a plane. But we were flying in and out of Johannesburg, South Africa. And it's a city of, uh, the greater Johannesburg area, as I could tell, was like 8 to 10 million people. It's a big place. And we're flying in and out at night, and the lights of the city just seemed to go on forever. It was just lights everywhere. And I was on the plane, I was looking at these lights, and I was thinking, I wonder what this city looked like before electric lights. 
I wonder what it looked like before. I mean, that's just a little over 100 years. In all the history of mankind, just a little over 100 years, 120, 30 years, have we had electricity and the light shine like that. And the nation of Israel, they, in the day Jesus lived, they had the, the, the lamps, and the lamps had oil in them, and then there was a flax wick that was set in the oil, and they would light the flax wick. And it really didn't burn up the wick. It burned up the oil that was supplied through the flax wick. And so what would happen is when it would start to smolder, it's because not that the wick was burned out, but because the oil was gone. And this passage is saying that the smoldering wick, which is smoldering because the oil is gone, he will not, he won't snuff out. What does he do instead? He replenishes the oil. Now, to me, the oil clearly, and maybe I'm just New Testament minded, but the oil clearly is a reference to the Spirit of God. That the oil of the Spirit is being replenished. I mean, think about, for example, think about Peter. Peter was a smoldering wick on the night he betrayed Jesus. I mean, he, Jesus could have snuffed him out in no time. Peter, you idiot. You've been with me three years. Denied me that night. Look what I had to go through. You're just in a courtyard. Some girl accuses you, and the next thing you know, you're denying me. I had to go through the cross. I had to get, tore, I had to get beaten. I mean, he could have snuffed him out, right? But instead, he restores, and he reignites so that Peter is filled with the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost and preaches one of the great sermons of the entire New Testament, and 3,000 people are saved. Why? Because the servant didn't come to snuff out these wicks, but to reignite them, to allow the Spirit to be present in our lives, the oil of the Spirit to be poured out on us so that we could burn brightly for him. You see, it's not just that you've been, you've been ignited for you. You've been ignited and filled with the power of the Spirit so that it can flow from you to others. People, I'm going back to the first point, and I'm saying this in all love. Get over yourself. Really. The New Testament over and over and over says this, I love you, I've restored you, I've called you as a people after my name. Why? So that you will be a light to the world. And it's time for us to step up and to say, the gifts that God has given me are not for me, they're for others. It's time for me to stop saying, what can I get out of church and start to say, what can I pour into the church? What will be missing if I'm not there? It's time for us to stop saying, everybody out there hates me. Everybody, no one likes me. And, and it's time for us to be restored and reignited by the oil of the Spirit so that we can burn bright for him. This is what the servant came to do in our lives. And that's the reason, this is the reason that Paul can say to Timothy, fan into flame. 
the gift that's been given you. For God didn't give you a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power and of love and of self-discipline. Why? So that we can, we can show the glory of God to the world around us. This is great news. This is great news. Now, some of us are saying, yeah, but I'm still, I'm still hurting. And I don't want to minimize your hurt, please. I, I really don't want to make fun of it or poke fun of it. But this I know. A year from now, you're going to be hurting. And two years from now, you're going to be hurting. And 10 years from now. As a matter of fact, just walking outside, something's going to, something bad's going to happen. You're going to get hurt. If you're waiting to get well to be on fire for God, then you'll never be on fire for God. Because God's already done in you and for you and to you what he wants. He's given you the power. Now, in a minute, we're going to have a time of prayer. Because I know we're bruised. And I know we're flickering. But I think God is here to meet us and to touch us and to say. That's why we come together for worship, to say, okay, I've been beat up this week, but I want to get well. There's a, in, in Paris, there's the Arc de Triomphe. The, you, you know that famous arch in the middle of Paris. And underneath it is a, uh, is a flame, like an eternal flame, that signifies those who have given their lives in battle. And uh, this flame was put under the Arc de Triomphe uh, in 1923. And every day since 1923, every day at 6.30 p.m., they had this ceremony where a dignitary or a soldier or someone comes with this big sword and kind of there are slots in that circle around the flame. And they put the sword in the slot and they push it one slot forward. And it signifies a couple of things. It, it, it signifies keep moving forward, but it also signifies a, a re embellishing, a reigniting, not igniting, but a, what's the word I'm looking for? Where it, it gives more fuel to it, refilling, a re-empowering of the flame so that the flame doesn't go out. Listen, honestly, we all need it. Daily, hourly, weekly, moment by moment, we need this refilling don't be drunk with wine, but be being filled with the Holy Spirit. Let the power of the Spirit continue to flow in us and to us and through us. Because the Lord has called us. He's called us in righteousness. He's going to take hold of our hands. This is the rest of 42. I will keep you and will make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles. Now, I know there's a straight... Jewish reference here, but it's broader than that. It's really, I'm going to make you, the church, I think, to be a light to the world, to those around, to open eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison, to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. Anybody recognize this passage from Luke? It's not the exact quote. It's a, there's a later one that's more specific that Jesus quotes, but this is a, the same idea that he, he's given us in order to set people free, to take the scales off people's eyes, to see them set free from prison. 
This is who we are. Because of what the servant has done in and through us. Then I love verse 10. I read you verses 1 through 9. And then verse 10 says this. Sing to the Lord a new song. His praise from the ends of the earth. Our response to the servant. Sing it out people. Let worship and praise flow from us to the world around us. Let's, Let's be such a light. That we can sing to the world his songs of praise. To let the world know that this is who we are. In his power and in his might and in his strength. Stand up with me. Worship team, come back. Here's what I want to say this morning. Maybe seem like two things. One is this. I know there are people here who are bruised and broken and smoldering if you need a touch of the Lord emotionally, physically, mentally to heal you to touch you I'm going to ask you to come to the front or if you're here this morning and you need you would say you know what my flame it's flickering I need I need an empowering of the presence and power of the spirit of God I need a re-infilling of his presence in my life. I want the flame of God to burn bright in my life. And pastor, if I'm honest, I'm just barely holding on here. I want to say God is here to meet you. So the, the worship team, they're going, to sing, um, they're going to sing a chorus. And as they sing, just come to the front. And then I'm going to pray for you. And then I'm going to have our ministry teams. They're just going to come and they're going to lay a hand on you and pray. You just say to them, I need, I need healing or I need re-infilling, I need re-empowerment, and they're just going to pray a word over you, okay? So that we can have that touch of the Lord in our lives to, to, to be reestablished with him so that we can go from this place and be a light to the world around us. So if you need prayer right now, prayer for healing, prayer for deliverance, pray for, prayer for freedom, prayer for a fresh empowering of the Spirit, the, the, the team is going to sing one chorus over us and so just move to the front while while they sing